This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today, the main part of our podcast is going to be an interview I did with Tawny Newsom, who is awesome. Newsom is awesome. This just in. Uh, but first, we're going to go through some news. And the first bit of news is that we are about to get some news about Star Trek Discovery, thanks to uh, comic, basically Comic-Con in Brazil, right? Yeah, it's called CCXP, and I have no idea what that stands for. But it's the biggest thing you know happening in Latin America. And I think it's more significant in that... You know, this is the first kind of major event since both strikes ended. New York Comic Con, which you went to, wasn't that because one of the two strikes was still happening. So Paramount Plus is doing a panel for multiple shows this Saturday, which is the day after this podcast. And one of the shows is Discovery and Michelle Paradise is going to be there and who's co-showrunner and Sonequa. Yeah, Sonequa's going to be there too. And Michelle Paradise posted something on social today about uh, surprises was the word she used. Yeah, and the press release we got teased. I mean, they weren't specific about which of the shows because they're doing Halo and some other shows, but they promised exclusive first looks and stuff. I think for Discovery, we should expect a date. I mean, it would be insane for them not to put it, you know, this is enough. It's time for them to set a release date, right? <laughs> Enough already. We Enough. need to know when it's coming. First of all, we have podcasting to plan. Exactly. <laughs> but I think we will get in what the final trailer or the second trailer. The first trailer was 13 months ago. So it's time. They did a clip at Comic-Con in July. So we'll probably get another trailer is my guess. I was going to say, then they re-released the same trailer. So we are definitely hankering for something new. And, you know, and maybe we'll get some, you know, news announcements about the season. You know, it's not a Star Trek universe panel, so I wouldn't expect them to say anything else. You know, like Michelle Paradise doesn't work on the other shows. Right. Nor does Sonequa. It's possible they could say something about Section 31. It's funny, the the Variety article about this used a picture of... Michelle Yeoh, even though she has nothing to do with the show anymore, Discovery, um, but she's an Academy Award winner in their variety. So they're like, oh, let's use that one. Right. And uh, she was on the show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, we do have a little bit of an update. OK, so so first of all, on Saturday, expect we will have reporting on this. Um, not only will we have, you know, Paramount will send out any press releases to us if there's like a trailer or whatever, you know, they're announcing, but we're going to be partnering with a Brazil site. So we will have reporting on the panel and all that. Thanks to our friends in Brazil. That's awesome. And I'm glad you didn't have to fly to Brazil. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that would this. be, it'd be pretty cool to go to Brazil, but. Uh, That's true. Uh, especially for like Comic-Con. Yeah. So my Portuguese is a bit rusty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you'd pick up on all the important words. Like yes. Yeah. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's not what they call it there, though. <laughs> Can you say it in Portuguese? <laughs> no. I, 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 I was just about to try. I could say it in Spanish, but I'm just I'm just going to I'm just going to move on. OK, so, you know, one thing that we could get some news on, but I don't, I don't think it'll be mentioned is Michelle Yeoh's Section 31 movie last podcast, which was two weeks ago. We talked about how. There's indication they they are gearing up. Um, now the Canadian Directors Guild has put it on their shooting, you know, production list schedule, which isn't always 
accurate, but it looks like they are going to start shooting in January through March. So that's the latest we have on that one. Yeah, through mid-March. And I was looking at the list of crew and I saw like Timothy Peel, whose name is familiar to us from working on Picard, I believe. So it's definitely that group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, there's no counter indications. This is, you know, it was supposed to shoot in the fall of this year. We know Michelle Yeoh is very motivated to make this happen. So they'll be done shooting this before season three of Strange New Worlds. So I think, you know, on the last podcast, the question is, which comes first, the Section 31 movie or season three of Strange New Worlds on Paramount Plus? Hard to say, really. Yeah. I think finishing all the post on Strange New Worlds would be, you know, because that's going to shoot through till May and, you know, that will definitely take longer, but they could probably get the first half of the season out before. So who knows? Anyway, um, but I still, I think they're going to get, they're going to squeeze some live action Star Trek in, in the latter half of the year. So Discovery will be early in the year. Right. Then, then we'll have the, the live action gap in there. We'll get Prodigy on Netflix and probably Lower Deck Season 5. It would be interesting if they do end up splitting Strange New Worlds into two and then put the Section 31 movie in between. That would be an interesting choice. What we don't know is, it, are there any connections between the two of them? That might right. be, I wouldn't be surprised if there were. We don't know really where Georgia went with her friend Carl. No, and <laughs> she could still be hanging with him and therefore going wherever and whenever she wants or somebody wants or Carl wants. But Carl. if 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 she goes back to where she started, it would be within the time zone of Strange New Worlds. Right. Well, actually a little bit. It'd be before season one of Strange New Worlds. But there'd be no reason why she couldn't show up on in season three. Yeah. Or, or at least there'd be storyline connections. I think that might be kind of cool if they work that out. Yeah, I agree. It, but it wouldn't be as smart as, I mean, what you're almost implying, which there's no way this is, is that episode five of Strange New World season three, like ends on a little cliffhanger that is picked up on in this, the section 31 movie is because they were never planned to be that you know, tied together. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't implying that personally. Um, but it, they, it's in the the possibilities are somewhat intriguing. But I do think that's unlikely because they've been working on them separately. I think for quite some time. Now, there's another officially announced Star Trek project that we've been waiting for news on, and we got a little bit of an update on, and that's the. Star Trek colon con dash SETI Alpha 5. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Meyer originally TV miniseries, now podcast. Yeah. So he talked to Larry Nemechek on Portal 47, which the full video is up for people who want to go watch it. He, well, he says it's now a radio play, more or less, which is it's a podcast, but he's calling it a radio play with nine or ten episodes. Originally, it was a three-part miniseries. He's still hoping that it will find its way on screen at some point. Yeah, I, I think that's his vision, but Paramount decided that they want to make this. I mean, this will be the first scripted 
drama dramatization. I mean, podcast is a he doesn't like to use the word podcast, and I kind of agree because you're listening to a podcast now. But scripted drama podcasting is a kind of a big growing segment, and there are other scripted drama podcasts out there. Right. I mean, it's only called podcast because of how it's distributed, but it is a radio. I mean, it's what radio used to be. Yeah. Used to find this stuff on the radio. I mean, we we don't even know if it would be distributed using normal podcasting or whether it'd be restricted as, as an exclusive within the app, um, which is what Warner Brothers did with the Batman scripted podcast with Brent Spiner playing the Joker. Uh, or whether it would just be out there, you know, like like some of the other ones. Or maybe they do an exclusive deal with Audible. There's a lot of Audible-only um, drama podcasts um, with big-name stars. Right. Zachary Quinto has one uh, playing. Oh, no, John Hamm. They got every, I mean, they've had a tremendous amount of very famous big names in there doing dramas. Like, so Nick – he really was reticent to talk more about this, um, except to indicate that its project is still happening. He implied there's too many cooks in the kitchen and the strikes delayed it. And he didn't want to talk about casting or production details, but he did talk about the whole notion. He called it that radio doing it as a radio play is perfect. Radio plays are perfect because it's the theater of your mind's imagination at work instead of being limited by budgets. So he's excited about it, but um, you know, I don't know why this thing is taking so long. The strikes really shouldn't have had it. You know, the, the podcasts don't fall under the struck work contracts anyway. I don't think so. Right, but again, maybe you get into that thing of of certain people just being like, "Yeah, but I'm I can't I'm not going to do work during this time." Any work, yeah, right. even if like it's some not. Some of the animation people decided that too, so that's it's true. a tough one. But I think his phrase, a kitchen filled with cooks, is very telling, which just means a lot of meetings, a lot of people involved in conversations that definitely would slow down progress. I mean, I love Nicholas Meyer. I, I love audio productions. I think one of the issues with this con idea is that if you think about everything in Star Trek, you need you need kind of heroes and this is a about a bunch of evil you know genetically modified supermen who are in exile you know who are the good guys do they introduce more starfleet people is there a framing story with a starfleet ship involved it is a bit of a challenge i think to do this story yeah but i feel like if someone's going to do it get a creative dude like nicholas meyer indeed yeah and we don't know how this fits into because the, the rules of canon are usually what's seen on screen this falls into an interesting gap so we don't really know if it will be considered canon as soon as you know one of the shows mentions something that happened it is canon so it, it'll be interesting to see where it goes especially because the Khan Noonien Singh canon has been updated yep recently you know Khan was moved into the 21st century and into Toronto so to you know, my hometown, <laughs> you know, so so Nick's original script written years ago was probably still thinking, you know, in the old days when it was in the 1990s. Um, right. I mean, not that that matters at this point, considering what he's the time period he's interested in. Yeah, but 
if you're if you're sitting around SETI Alpha Five talking about the old days, you want to make sure that the timeline is matching up. Sure. With what's on the TV shows, probably the new TV shows. When they're sitting around the campfire reminiscing. Yeah. <laughs> about the good old days during the eugenics wars. Yeah, that was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but like, do they talk about Sung, right? Like Sung is a character now. Right. You know, and that kind of thing. At least now they can make sure that that happens. So, yeah, I'm totally looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I've been looking forward ever th- ever since 2017 when I was talking to Nick Meyer and he first dropped a hint that he was working on this in an interview right. I did with him. So this is, yeah, you know, we've been waiting for this for a long time, which is maybe why I sound a little jaded about it at this point. <laughs> Well, we'll get to something you can be jaded about in a bit. But before we get to that, let's talk about Picard. It's, I mean, it's Picard, but it's it's this legacy idea again. Basically, Michelle Hurd did an interview and she was talking about how working with Michael Dorn was such a gift. She said they had so much chemistry that the writers and producers, you know, saw it and took note and found ways to use it. Um, and then she just talked about how it would be really great to see that Worf and Rafi story told and that they need to be back on screen and that Seven needs to be with them, is what she said. Now, this is Michelle Hurd speculating, you know, talking about what she wants to have happen. This is not Alex Kurtzman announcing a project. Right. The interesting thing is, so this was a kind of post-finale interview with her in the new magazine. But during the whole interview, she kept on talking about Michael and the Worf dynamic and the question about where she talked about how she wants to see more Worf and Rafi together was actually about would she be interested in doing a spin-off show, including a show with Seven. So when she mentioned Seven in her answer, it was almost like, oh, yeah, and she could come along too. She wasn't asked about Michael in a spin-off. She brought it up. She's like, if we do a spin-off, I want to be teamed up with Michael Dorn again. Right. That's how much she loved it. And uh, there's no – we know some of the other actors have talked about wanting to do more. We don't know about Michael Dorn. Um, we know he doesn't like the makeup even though they've shortened it and stuff like that. But I bet he could be talked into it. They did have great chemistry. The two characters are perfect to pair up because they're so different. Right. And I think one of her points was that they help – the diversity representation of Star Trek. And that's uh, – she used the word nece- – it's necessary right. to show people characters like this in the future. And, you know, this issue comes up in your interview with Tawny. I think she had some real interesting things about – to say about representation in Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. Yep. You know, I think that is that is an important point. But, you know, legacy's not happening. You know, it, it might happen. But this is all just kind of fun to talk about. But until, you know, Paramount gets more flush with money and starts greenlighting more and more shows again, I don't know. You know, I I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole when we don't know whether any spinoff is going to happen. I still I think the most likely thing is they'll offer Terry something like another backdoor pilot. And, you know, and my bet is he would say no. Um, He wants a show. But maybe, maybe he'd go for it. I think what, I mean, it just makes me realize there are so many stories within stories that can be told. There are so many options. It doesn't have to be, you know, this one legacy show with 
at Spilliers. There are lots of options, and that's one of the options. And this is something else, and there are ways to incorporate each of the characters doing different things. But there's no one path, if there's a path at all. The frustrating thing is that if you want a live-action show and you and you want to have legacy characters in it, it has to be set in the twenty fifth, early 25th century. And they are doing live action in the 32nd century. And I'm sure there's ways they could squeeze some legacy characters into the Academy show. You know, there's always holograms. But really, there's this great asset that they have of all of these legacy characters that they could use. And there's no vehicle for them to use them. Nor does it seem there's plans to have such a vehicle now that Picard is over. So, right. I'm all for Star Trek Legacy. I'm we supported the idea since the beginning. So again, I maybe sound a little jaded, but I I think this is more just being realistic about what what's going on with Paramount. Is that I don't think we'll see the 25th century until 2026, if then. Right. Well, I feel like the appetite will be sustained. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, speaking of things that might never happen, <laughs> um. <laughs> We have another Chris Pine's been doing, you know, promotion for Wish, an animated movie where he does a voice. And of course, people ask him about Star Trek and someone asked him, uh, do you think Paramount's moving away from the Kelvin universe for something else? And his answer was not that I know of. <laughs> well, he and, would I think he would he would know. Yes. If it I mean, th this is, the, the you know, this is the weird like Schrodinger's cat of this movie, like does it exist or not? You know, and um, I, you know, it it kind of does and does not because the funny thing is he then says, you know, when asked if he's seen a script for this thing, he said, of course not. Right. He's now jaded. Speaking of jaded, because he's been complaining about not seeing a script, but again, they don't want to show him a script because they don't. It sounds like they've gone through, you know, they've gone through multiple scripts competing ideas and the last thing they want to do is have an actor fall in love with one version of something that's may not be what the final thing is so they don't want to show them anything until they've made the decision the last we heard is they're fine-tuning some script you know but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen i i've always said that paramount will make another star trek movie when they decide what star trek movie they want to make they don't want to stop making Star Trek movies because they have made them a lot of money over the centuries, but they just can't seem to decide. And I'm no longer predicting whether it's going to be a Kelvin movie or not. It was the leading contender and then it wasn't and then it was again and then it wasn't. And, I, you know, I don't know what it is this week. Yeah. If I had to, you know, wager on it, I would say it's not going to be that. It's too much time, honestly. It's a lot of time. And they're already successful with other Star Treks, and they don't—they know that it doesn't have to be that. Yeah, but apparently, when Brian Robbins took over as CEO, and they when they killed the Noah Hawley project, which is going to be new ship, new crew, new everything. You know, they had done some focus groups, and those focus groups told them we want to see more of the Kelvin crew. So that's why they went back to the Kelvin crew. They agreed to pay Chris Pine what he wanted, which was apparently a lot. And they have a good working relationship with him. He did the Dungeons and Dragons movie and they've done a bunch of stuff with him. 
half of it is on the creative side and half of it's on the money side to make it worth it. Like, does the movie only work if it makes $700 million, which is hard to do? Anyway, we've, you know, this is... Uh, I was like, we've had this conversation so many times. I know. Every Why time I... there's a dribble of news, whether it's news that something is happening or news that something isn't or news that somebody doesn't know, we have this conversation. So, and I it's know. probably the same conversation lots of people are having out there. This is the Jaded Podcast. I, yes, I feel, it is. Which is different than our main focus, which will be Tawny Newsom. But uh, before we get to that, there's just a couple kind of cool merch things to say. We did an article on the site about something called Fanfare, which is a new way to get celebrity autographs. Um, and it's kind of cool. What it is is it's using technology for celebrities to sign things but they never actually signed the thing. It gets printed. So they signed a thing on an app and then it gets printed on these nice original artwork posters. So you could, you know, send uh, your friend a happy birthday message from Tim Russ or John Delancey and they'll write, you know, whatever you say for them to write, but they didn't touch the poster. It was printed at a printing press somewhere. Right. They're digitally signing it, but it is the, an original message personalized and they're handwriting it but they didn't for people who you know for some people an autograph is about fit having physically touched the object which they're not doing but if it's really just about getting a message from somebody it kind of opens up the options for how to make that happen without standing in line at a convention for example and they've signed up a whole bunch of people yeah frakes is doing it um, you know, it's it's a bunch of Star Trek people. It's actually John Delancey's son, his company. Uh, so I guess he was the first to sign up and he helped talk in some other people. Right. It's his son, Owen, but not Keegan, who was on Voyager, just so people know. It's not the same one. There is a convenience factor, as you say. If you say, if you want a something signed by one, it's kind of like Cameo, where you go to the site, you type in what you want them to say. And instead of them sending you a video message, they you get a poster with the thing with your message um, written on it. And it'll be much faster, of course, than waiting for the next convention and flying to Las Vegas or wherever. But you don't get that that experience. And so it's just it's something different, but interesting. Right. Um, I think, you know, we may be bringing in John Delancey onto this podcast sometime in the future. and Maybe he'll he'll explain it better. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure he will. He'll snap his fingers and it will all become clear. And there's a company we've mentioned before called Vice Prints, and if still talking about posters and art prints. And they've done they've been doing replicas and some new art for Star Trek movie posters. And now they've started doing TV show stuff. So the really cool season finale poster of Picard, um, which you could have only get if you went to one of like the very limited IMAX screenings. They have a really nice version of that. And uh, the, all four of the Lower Decks posters, art prints, which have never been released as posters. That's um, cool. Those posters are great. You could get like a Star Trek four poster from them and a Lower Decks season four poster from yeah. them. And they're kind of the same poster, but in a different way. But this is limited time. They go on sale Thursday, the day we're recording this podcast. So by the time you get it, I don't know, they might be gone by then. So hopefully not. Right. Um, I think, you know, let's pivot and talk about so your interview with Tawny Newsom. We've teased bits of this on the site. 
Um, but there, there's more to the interview that that hasn't been on the site. Um, but you know, she confirmed that they're recording for season five, which is big. And we, you know, listen for her talking about Starfleet Academy, which was kind of cool that she's a writer and she gave you some insight into that writer's room. Yeah. She's so excited about it too. I mean, she's excited about everything. She was absolutely a joy to talk to. And you just start having a conversation with her without, you know, you kind of lose the interviewee feeling of some of it and just fall into conversation. But yeah, it was, you know, she's so excited to be in that writer's room. I mean, I'll, I'll just, she says it herself, so I'm not going to paraphrase, but she does <laughs> fill in some, some cool information. Yeah, and especially because we know almost nothing about that yeah. show. So she certainly made me feel like I now am more excited about it. And about season five. So let's play it. It's so nice to meet you, Tani. I'm such a fan and I love the show and I love you on it. Oh, thank you. I think we met on the like on the line at maybe at Picard or at some premiere or something. No? I wasn't I'm New York, so if there was I'm never at the LA things. Oh, all right. So, well but I'm, I but I'm, it's awesome that you think so. So I'll take it. Um <laughs> so let's I got questions from all over. So uh Lord okay. X season four, uh Mariner's origin story. Like her whole arc was tied to the whole origin of the actual series. Yeah. So had you known about that for a long time or was that something that you just found out? No. So I knew about it in kind of a vague way. Mike McMahon told me uh, time is so, first of all, time is fake. It doesn't exist. But also in animation, it, things come out so much farther ahead than when they, you know, whatever. So I don't know when this was, but I think Mike told me back when we were working on season three, he said, my long game plan is I'm going to tie our show to the original Lower Decks episode of TNG. And I'm going to make Mariner friends with Cedo, the Bajoran uh, ensign who died. And like, that was all I knew. And I was like, holy shit, this is genius. This is so perfect, especially for you, Mike, because that's his favorite episode of Trek ever. So I was like, this all makes total sense. I love it. I did not know about the Locarno of it all <laughs> until I read the season four scripts. And I think that's when I kind of geeked out because, like, first of all, I love that episode, The First Duty. I love it so much. I also love that we did, like, the Lower Decks version of Khan. Like, we took a character from one episode where you're like, wait, that guy? And then brought him back and made him this epic villain I just think that's such a it's such a funny example of of what our show does best and yeah how to just be how to just be the weirdest iteration of a Star Trek show possible um, yeah so I loved it and so do you have a favorite deep cut or reference from the past season um deep a favorite deep cut or reference you know this isn't a deep cut or reference but I have been wanting to talk about this and I keep forgetting. Um, so on the picket lines this summer, early on in the, in the WGA strike, I was introduced to a man named Mark Gaberman, who wrote the story, not the teleplay, but he wrote the story for Tuvix. It was his first ever writing <laughs> job. And I met him on the picket line. I was like, oh my God, you wrote Tuvix? Wait till you see our season four opener. Um, and we got to be friends. Like we would run into each other picketing all the time. And when that episode came out, he sent me this long message. He was just so touched. He was like, I can't believe something that I came up with has influenced canon in this way and is still being talked about 30 years later. But, you know, for that to be his first job, and now he's got this very cool career. He writes for Jeopardy now. 
I, I just think that, like, that brought him such joy and made him feel so valuable in the franchise. And, and I just love that our little show can, can do that for people. And, I, yeah, it, that made me so happy. Yeah, it's been great at bringing back just moments, like the exercising moment with the, you know, stuff like that to just have resurface in some way is so much fun. Oh, absolutely. The unitards for sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, so are you recording? I know you're working on season five. Have you, first of all, have you started recording for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were recording a tiny bit before the strike and then we just got started again and we're like somewhere in the middle. I've done like four or five episodes so far. So yeah, I think our production timeline is, is, is okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that got affected, but we're back and yeah, I love it. I'm so happy to be back doing these, doing these roles. (laughs) And do you get to record with other people or are you still doing stuff on your own? No, we never, you know, actually our first uh, session back, our producer Brad Winters didn't tell us, but he scheduled me and Jack, not only back to back, but he scheduled us to overlap. So I showed up to record at one and really I wasn't recording till two and Jack was in there finishing and we were like, my friend. ah." I mean, we see each other all the time, but it was still just like to see each other at work. It just felt like such a joy. And then I think we did, don't tell the studio, but I think we did waste about 90 minutes in there just like catching up and gossiping and eating salads um <laughs> but maybe they maybe they scheduled in some intentional buffer time <laughs> so i'm gonna guess they did buffer yeah, time's yeah, famous yeah. already so why not why not <laughs> so do, would you rather record solo or would you rather have the people around to do it with you um look i'm gonna be honest we get way less done the more people that are in there because we <laughs> are all just good friends and we like chit chat and gossip so much um so I'm sure it is more productive to have us in there one at a time. But yeah, no, I mean, I love, I love whenever Jack's in there. I take so many little videos that I can then never post anywhere because it's, everything is so spoilery, but I have so many cute little videos of him just like making noises and doing weird shit in the booth. So I would like more opportunities to take creepy videos of my friends, but I don't think that's how you <laughs> make a good Star Trek show. Great. Well, you could release them after anyway. I know, and then I always forget. Then it's like a year and a half later. Like, I have so many pictures from the crossover episode and, like, videos and stuff that I I do need to post, but it's, like, now I'm, like, busy, and I I don't know. It just is not how my brain works when it comes to posting things. But I will put them out because the world does need to see Jack Quaid in a turbo lift just doing, like, elevator bits. (laughs) Totally. And, you know, we have a never-ending appetite. We don't care how old the stuff is. We're like. Bring it. That's a good point. That's a good reminder, Lori. 50 years old, we're like, yes, bring on the outtakes. So yeah, then, you're right. You're right. Yeah. This fandom loves to recycle a moment, so you're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. And stuff will resurface after, like, years of nobody seeing it. So Yeah. So, back to, so speaking of the crossover, you mm-hmm. finally got to be Mariner, but this time actually interacting physically with a whole bunch of people. So did that change your performance? in any way and also did you have to slow down a lot you know we made some jokes about that in the we added that to the text of the episode because we were like you know we had like a a little meeting like with frakes and with the writers ahead of time and frakes asked me he was like do you guys do you change your voices for the animated show and i was like no we just have we just yell and we talk fast and it's just how animation works like you, you don't have your face and body to emote with so you have to do so much more there's just so much more energy and effort that has to go into your voice so it 
It's true. Like the fandom the, that was angry at us early on, that was like, they just yell all the time. We were like, yeah, you're correct. N- what's your next problem? Because you're absolutely right. We do yell all the time. That's what animation is. So we were like, well, we have to have like a nod to that because what I don't want to do is come on to Strange New Worlds where everyone's like a very restrained, incredible on camera actor who kind of talks in like a very hushed moment. I don't <laughs> want to be on there like screaming in Una's face. That's just not the look I want. So we, uh, yeah, we made a little joke about it and, and other than that, like our, our physicality, we did mute a little bit just because like we're, we are not cartoons. Um, <laughs> But, but a lot of it was we tried to stay pretty faithful. The one thing I couldn't do that I was really bummed about, Mariner crosses her arms all the time, and I couldn't do it in that costume because of where they placed our lav microphone. It made it muffled. So I never, I didn't get to do any good Mariner arm crosses. Well, so speaking of fans that get mad at things. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's dive in. <laughs> yeah. So what do you say to fans, or not what do you say to them, but what do you think when you hear that fans are, like, dismissing all the Easter eggs and deep cuts as just fans? Oh, like dismissing Easter eggs? God. Yeah, like there are people who say it's just that they're like, it's, I mean, I don't agree with them because I fucking love the show. But they're like, it's just a pile on and they're just stuffing it, you know, whatever they're saying is. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm glad I haven't seen those people. They sound very sad. <laughs> they sound like they have a hard time enjoying things in life. Because I, look, I I don't think that you should just have a. I I think that our show does a good job of also telling great stories and honoring Star Trek canon and being really funny and having incredible character moments. So the fact that we also managed to shove in so many references and like deep cuts. I just think that's a testament to the writing because the show wouldn't be good if it was just fan service. Like we wouldn't have four seasons. You can't do four seasons of just fan service. Like the studio or somebody would have been like, okay, that's enough after like 10 episodes, you know? So I kind of just don't think those criticisms are at all even valid because it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be as popular as it is. So I don't know. I, I hope they, I hope they find joy in their life. Is what I would <laughs> no, say about. It is a little sad. <laughs> um, so you, you've you played with some of the, like, you've had scenes with, whether you get to record with them or not, I guess you don't, like Jonathan Frakes and Robbie McNeil and John Delancey and Armin and Nana and all these people. So is there someone else on your bucket list that you would love to have scenes with your character in particular? Oh, man. I mean, I think... I think fans heard about me um, gently yelling at Mike McMahon when he almost didn't put Mariner in on Deep Space Nine at all. Yeah. Uh, he had her on that side plot in her damn candle party, and I was so mad. I was like, if you don't let me, Tawny Newsom, talk to Nana and Armin in some point in this damn cartoon, I'm going <laughs> to haunt you for the rest of your life. Um, so he fixed that because I'm a huge Major Kira stan. Um, I'm also a huge Jedzia Dax Stan, I don't know how we do that. There's got to be some timey-wimey shenanigans. That would be, yeah, anyone from Deep Space Nine would be such an incredible honor that it would, yeah, it, it, it would blow my mind to get to talk to any of those people. Some some are more difficult to achieve than others <laughs> based on who is canonically alive in 2381. But Well, there's always a way. <laughs> there's always a way, right? Yeah, we just have Cito and Wesley, so we can have anybody. Yeah, come on. All right, we'll work on that. <laughs> so you're also in the writer's room on the Starfleet Academy show, which is awesome. Yes, um, thank you. Are you guys back up and running? 
We are. Yeah. It's been, uh, whenever the strike ended, so it's been about a month and it's been great. Yeah. I'm very it's careful. going well. It's going great. I'm so careful. You're going to hear me really choose my words, Lori, because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, keep, I keep saying as I've been doing press, I'm like, you know, as an actor, if I slip up and say the wrong thing, like somebody might call me and like slap my hand or whatever, but as a writer, I think I could get in serious trouble if I mess this up. So <laughs> I'm like, let me, let me be very careful. We are back. We have truly the most fun group of people, just the loveliest people. Our showrunners, Alex and Noga, really assembled a, just a delightful room of lovely people. I don't know how they did it because Hollywood's full of uh, psychopaths, and they really managed to find <laughs> find some sweeties who love Trek. So I've been having a blast, and I think that the audience is going to love this show. I really do. Um, Alex has talked about how it's aimed at a new generation of fans, which makes a lot of sense. How do you feel that it'll work with, like, the old school, not the grumpy ones, but the old school fans? Okay, if if Alex has said those words, then I can piggyback on things Alex has already <laughs> said. Um, <laughs> so, yes, it is aimed at a younger generation. I mean, you know, it's the Academy. It's it's all things are possible. Also, I like this era, just speaking as me, I I like the promise of this show because so often we don't get to see – what it's like when you're not quite a fully formed Starfleet officer yet. Like all of our, all of our Starfleet officers have to be so good already. And what I think has been so fun about Lower Decks is that we've gotten to see like, you know, the people on the the less great ship. And so, yeah, I just think that kids in their Academy phase. Yeah. That's, that's some of the exciting stuff for me is like, what, what are you like when you're a teenager who's still figuring this out on the path to becoming these great Starfleet officers. And I mean, you're a true Star Trek fan and obviously it's appealing to you. So you think that people will be able to connect with it, even if they're, you know, oldies. I I do. I look, I will say that there are some people in that room. I might be one of them that are real cannon hound dogs. We got some real cannon heads in there being like really, you know, very very intense <laughs> in, intense conversations about keeping the star trek of it feeling really star trekky so i i hope that'll make everyone who loves star trek happy cuz you know it it makes me happy i love being a i love being a, a deputy canon cop <laughs> i feel like that's a good barometer for the rest of us like if you're into it and you're part of it so also, though, it's so early. That's the other reason that I'm being careful, because I'm like, anything I say now, I could tell you, like, oh, yeah, there's a circus episode and 20 monkeys come and, like, overtake Andoria. <laughs> and then that won't happen because, you know, the show's going to premiere in 2048 or whatever the hell. So it, that's the other wild thing is that, like, oh, when you're in the writer's room, you really it's not like being an actor where I've seen the scripts and I'm just, like, trying not to spoil things. In the writer's room, it's like. Things are mercurial. Things change every day. I come into the room and I'm like, wait, I thought we were doing X. Oh, it's different now. Great. So yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to make any promises that I, I just cannot keep. <laughs> um, is this your first writer's room? Like of this type? Of this type, for sure. I have done sketch before. I have yeah. never done a narrative room. Um, I worked at the Second City for many years before I worked in TV and we write all of our own material there. Um, I've done a lot of little like, okay, we're assembling a punch up room for this draft of this thing. And, um, yeah, but I've only ever worked in comedy. I've never worked on an hour long drama, not even as an actor. 
And so that's, that's different for me. And yeah. And then someone told me that I'm the first, uh, like Star Trek cast member to be in on the staff of a, of a show. You are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some have written episodes, but yeah, like freelance, right? Right. Yeah. Or like a more, probably it's more of a story idea. Uh huh. But I think, you're, yeah, you're the first one. And so you're that. enjoying the vibe of that. Yeah. For sure. And I, I, uh, I wear that honor. So yeah, it was weird when that, when I heard that, I was like, it was during the strike and I was like, I don't know if I can confirm that or I don't even know how to like figure that out. But yeah, I, I, that's such an honor. And I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that. It's not, it's rare that you get to be a first in something that you really care about. Yeah. That's, that's very meaningful to me. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, Back to Lower Decks. So there's been, like, some talk of, like, will the show, you know, like, every show, because everything's, especially, like, Paramount, things are up in the air with all the shows and how long will they last and all of that. You, How long could you see, I mean, besides just wanting to stay on Lower Decks forever, like, realistically, how long do you see that show going? I think the show can go as long as Mike has interesting, beautiful stories to tell about these characters. And I think we've seen that he's managed to really get a lot of mileage out of us. Like, I think he's really found ways to deepen their backstory. I mean, look at Tendi. Look at where, you know, the jokes about Tendi from season one and the fandom were like, we don't know anything about her to the point where in season two, we have Mariner making a joke where she's like, what's your first name? Devana? <laughs> like, it, and now we have all of this. I mean, Tendi has such an incredible story and we're going to see more of it in season five. We're going to see more cool Orion stuff. The way we're adding to Orion canon in our show, more than almost any other Trek show has done. So I, I really see a world where we could go on and on and on and not run out of stuff to talk about. It's just a question of, you know, does Mike want to keep doing it? Uh, I know we all do. I know Jack and I are like, yeah, we'll do this forever. Why would, why wouldn't we? Um, I really want to see us in more live action. I want to get to see Tendi and Rutherford. I, I've been, I've been doing comedy on stage, like live comedy with Eugene Cordero for years. He's one of my dear friends. And I'm like, we need to be in a live action track together. So that's what I'm pulling for. And do you think if the show went on, like you'd need to get bigger promotion? Like how long can you stay lower deckers? Well, I think we'd have to stretch the meaning of a lower decker. I think it'd turn into a lot of like, we're lower deckers at heart, even though we're all fleet admirals or whatever, you know, because at a certain point, you got to just, you, they got to rank up. But I don't know, maybe some of them will leave Starfleet. I don't know. I don't think that the show hinges on their actual rank. I think that they've, I think we've proved that like yeah. their, their friendship and the and the types of things they want to focus on is is more the the story, you know. And you can still feel like one no matter what your rank is. You yeah. can still feel like a lower decker. I'm a grown ass woman. I feel yeah. like a lower decker every day. Same. <laughs> so and Moopsie totally blew up into a thing. Like fans are making their own Moopsies and everybody's obsessed with Moopsie. Talyn really blew up. Uh, like when you're going through scripts, have you spotted any of these things that you thought? Like were you surprised by how big some of these things were? No, I don't predict stuff like that because I'm always wrong. Even in like live action stuff I've done, I remember turning to a castmate on a live action show and being like, we were in, I'm not going to say what it was, but we were in particular outfits 
that were just like cool outfits. But I, we thought that not only was this show and these characters, we thought this was going to blow up. I mean, it wasn't just us. We were being told by the people in charge, like, this is about to be huge. Your lives are going to change. You know, get your addresses off the internet. You're going to be stalked. You're going to be A-listers, blah, blah, blah. And then I remember turning to my castmate and being like, you think these costumes we're wearing are going to be like everyone's Halloween costume this year? And my castmate was like, yeah, I think so. We're about to be so famous. And then it was just like such a dud. Like nothing happened. No one watched it. Nothing. So I don't ever predict that shit. And I absolutely love when the fandom loses their mind and goes <laughs> totally ape shit for something like Moopsy. Because you're just like, wait, what? You know that like. <laughs> Marketing and merchandising departments all over the world for franchises everywhere are trying so hard to get whatever that is, and, and you just can't predict it. Our fandom just went, moopsie, it's moopsie. It's going to trend for five days straight. It was trending on Twitter. People I didn't even know were, like, talking to me about that episode. I was like, this is delightful. It just exploded. I ugh, I love our fans. <laughs> So I know you're such a big Star Trek fan, especially Deep Space Nine, but are there, what are the gaps in your, like, viewing? Are there things you haven't seen yet? Have you made your way through everything? I mean, it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. I never watched the, I've seen some of the animated series, the original animated series. I know I've seen every original series episode, but I've, I have not rewatched them. So there's some that I've, like, rewatched a bunch of times, but, like, there's plenty that I'm just like, wait, what happened? Um, and I'm not as versed on Voyager. I did a rewatch in college, I think, and that was the last time I saw it. So definitely, like, it, at the top of my brain are Deep Space Nine, TNG, and then the new stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I have gaps like everybody else. But also just being in the franchise in so many different ways, I'm just having so many conversations with people about it that even if I haven't seen that particular Voyager episode recently, I've been talking about it a lot. So I, I also have weird, I have weird kind of like phantom fandom about shit where I'm like, did I watch that or did someone just describe it to me over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> I bet that happens to you a lot. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. I'll tell people like, oh yeah, I've seen that. And then really, no, I've just like heard about it or had it, you know, uh, summarized for me so many times. And then I'll watch the episode. And I'm like, wait, what is this? <laughs> Yeah, um, so it's, uh, it's confusing, but I'm definitely, I'm, I'm steeped in it in a lot of different ways. Right. But, and you're a big Deep Space Nine fan, so you've seen that more than once all the way through? I, yeah, I've seen that multiple times. I've seen yeah. every episode multiple times. <laughs> and what is it about Deep Space Nine that you love so much? I mean, you know, uh, I think that when I was, very young and starting to watch it I know that my dad was very excited to see a black captain and my dad was very excited to have a show about a black family that was not about trauma that was not about racial trauma that was not you know it was something he could watch with his very young daughter and it was just it was just space shit it was sci-fi and they happened to be black and then of course we get those incredible episodes that do deal with race, but it, it was just, it was something that my dad could show his kid and, you know, not have it be about slavery or about, you know, some black person in the fifties who had to overcome some hardship, which those stories are important, but you just get tired as a person of color in this country. You get tired of those things. And you just want wish fulfillment. Um, in addition to that, I always was obsessed with 
Jedzia Dax. I was obsessed with that relationship that she has with Ben Sisko, where you can have a friendship that transcends all these different generations of hosts, that transcends gender. You know, you have this, like, a woman who who presents one way, being called old man. I just felt like the way that they played with gender was, like, so mind-blowing to me as, like, a young teen. And, and you know, honestly, as a comedian, like, those Ferengi episodes, some of those Ferengi episodes are so, they are such bangers. Like, they're such comedy bangers. They have, like, Andrea Martin and Wallace Shawn <laughs> just doing full, flat-out sitcoms. Just hard, hard comedy. Like, it might as well have been a half-hour sitcom with, like, an audience out front. And then the next episode is, like, the absolute brutalities of war. <laughs> that That total shift is wild as hell. But for someone like me, who's kind of a... I don't know. I, I do have wild tonal shifts like that, like in my own work. I, I just loved it. And I just thought it was so beautiful. Sorry, I could go on about Deep Space Nine forever. It's no, a, I get it. I mean, Deep, yeah. Deep Space Nine also had a really good balance of episodic and serialized and had to juggle that. So and Lower Dex has been doing a lot of serialized stuff. And now Mike is saying, like, next season will be more episodic. Do you have a preference for that? I don't, I mean, I think I like episodic because I think it keeps the stories, like, self-contained and bouncy, and they kind of just get to, like, solve their little problem of the week. I just love a goofy little alien of the week problem that has a little bit of, like, hidden pathos and lots of fun and funny. I, I didn't know, this is an unpopular, maybe, opinion, but, like, I don't think this season was all that serialized, so... I don't draw a huge distinction between what they did in season four and what I'm seeing them do in season five. I think it's all great. I love season four. Season five is shaping up to be great. I'll let you know when I read the rest of it. <laughs> I think it's all yeah, great. Season four, I think, has been the, the strongest season so far. And there, and it was great from the get-go. So, Yeah. Yeah, I just think, like, we've earned so much of the audience's trust now. And the audience just knows our characters so well. That we can do a whole a, a whole episode where they're just telling stories about being trapped in a cave. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> that was one of my all time favorites. It was so good. <laughs> just cave stories and them yelling at Tendi. They're like, "That's not a cave story. That's a turbo lift." <laughs> so in the season finale, we saw Mariner has gone through this shift, right? So she's not going to self sabotage. She's going to try not self sabotaging anymore. Um. And Mike McManus said, like, the character will be more joyful. Like, are you playing her differently now that you've started recording stuff for season five? I am not playing her differently. I am noticing in the writing, though, that she, yeah, she's not just sabotaging for for being reckless's sake or for, you know, she's not just being self-destructive um, without a purpose anymore. Like, she's having to really grow up and choose the moments where she's going to rebel. I mean, she doesn't suddenly become, like, a total rule follower. That's just not Mariner, but <laughs> no, but yeah, but she's got to be more, a little more judicious about when she's, uh, when she's acting out and why and, and, and what the value of that is. Um, there are some moments where I do have to do some different things with my voice. And that is all I will say. That's all I will say. There's, there's some opportunities for a, a different, a different shade of Mariner <laughs> that you're going to get in season five. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad I finally got to meet you. Me too. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, this has been great. Anytime you want me to come on and 
talk more about Deep Space Nine, I clearly could go on and on. Listen, we've got a podcast. We would love that. We would totally, if you can't talk about anything else, we would let you just come on and talk about Deep Space Nine. Oh, absolutely. You asked me a question about Starfleet Academy I can't answer, and I'm just like, well, you know the wild thing about Daymar. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I hope we get to do that. Cool. Thank you, Lori. Thanks so much. Well, we should definitely take her up on that offer to come on the podcast and talk about Deep Space Nine. Hell yeah, we should. That would be so much fun. We'll have to pick a really good episode for her to talk about. And yeah. something Kira-centric, obviously. But, you know, that was such a, I mean, I, I mean, you guys had a great rapport. I'm sorry I missed it, but I'm glad you had the opportunity to just have a, a, a chat with a Star Trek fan who happens to work on Star Trek. <laughs> be writing Star Trek and acting in Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't, I hadn't thought of it until she talked about that, but that notion that, I mean, yes, as you guys went in the back and forth, there have been some people who've acted in Star Trek who got writing credits, like, you know, Brent Spiner had a writing credit in Nemesis, you know, and, and Koenig and all that, but. Yeah, and Picardo got one somewhere. There are a few here and there. Yeah, but she's literally in the writer's room on the staff. That's a whole different thing. And and she is genuinely moved by that um and i think that's pretty cool i think she's a creative force so i think we're going to see her doing all kinds of cool things as her career progresses yeah for sure i think the uh, there's a couple of cryptic things in there like she talked about a live action show she was on that ev- everyone thought was going to be huge but wasn't do you think that's space force it's got to be it really because I remember when that show was announced and and they Netflix was paying Steve Carell a huge amount of money because The Office was the biggest thing on Netflix and then Netflix lost The Office, right? And so they paid Steve Carell a ton of money to do a new show and it was going to be a huge show. So I could see why everyone thought it, but I I remember watching it thinking that it just wasn't that funny. Yeah, I kind of faded out of it. I think they did two seasons actually, but I Yeah, and then that was it. Yeah. Um, the, the, it was intriguing her talking about season five. She says this like a different voice uses for Mariner. So maybe there's like another version of Mariner. I know. I was wondering, five. I was like, could it be Mary universe Mariner or some other like that's weird old obvious. Mariner we've already seen? Yeah. So, yeah. So there's something interesting happening. I mean, not that that's a surprise, but they are recording, so they, sh- you know, it's, it's going to be tight getting that show into into 2024, but I think they'll do it. I was sad to hear that they don't get to record together. In my mind, I, I mean, I, I get what she was saying, that it would just take forever, and I'm sure <laughs> it would take forever. They'd be in there all day, but I do. And then, I mean, the show feels like they're recording together, but I, I hope at some point they get to do some stuff together just to see what comes from that it's always what i picture in my head is what's interesting in some room they did some of that apparently for season one and then they stopped because of the pandemic so they could do it again and they're choosing not to so the direct so like we gotta go home at some point so (laughs) (laughs) but i think it would be fun you know i mean god get all four of them in there yeah and film it there's just something fun to be had there All right, so let's wrap up with our bits of the week. Tony, why don't you start? Well, mine, I mean, it's almost everyone knows what this exists, so I'm not telling anyone something. 
but uh, Red Letter Media, I'm I'm a big fan of those guys, Mike and and the whole team, and they have this great video show, and they you know their epic Star Trek movie reviews are famous, and their struggle through Discovery and some of the new shows have also been fun to watch. They they are huge Star Trek fans. They do all sorts of pop culture stuff. Recently. <laughs> They got their hands on the you know the uh, des- the destroyed Enterprise D model, the real thing, and they put out this video of them like how you know, building a display for it, and it's just really fun to have them talk about their fan, their real fandom. I'm just a big fan of these guys. I don't know. I mean, Laura, do you know who I'm talking about? I, I mean, I I know of them, but I've never really sat down and. I mean, watched. their their YouTube stuff has millions of views. I think or I mean, they they are immensely popular they do not need us to promote them but if you haven't seen it there's a video out there which we'll link in the show note called displaying our exploded uss enterprise d (laughs) and it's just it's just a fun video and it's a fun channel i don't agree with everything they say i'd agree with a lot of what they say it's interesting to look at their reviews of picard they had some interesting stuff to say on that anyway what's your bit of the week well, we I've been uh, collaborating with the team doing Trek Talks, and Trek Movie is a big part of this this year. So I don't know if you've seen the past few years. It's an annual giant fundraiser, like an all-day marathon of Star Trek panels with people from in front of the camera, behind the camera, all kinds of Star Trek people. John Billingsley is the main driving force who starts it up, but it's Trek Geeks, Roddenberry Podcasts, and Trek Movie now added. And I've been working with them a lot on this. And we have a date. So Saturday, January 13th, the event will stream on YouTube. It's all to benefit Hollywood Food Coalition, which is a really incredible organization that that pretty much epitomizes the values of Star Trek. And I think that's the big connection that we're making this year is like, this is really what Star Trek is all about. Um, and I can't, we started booking guests and, and, and coming up with panels and I can't give you all of the confirmed names, but I can give you one and it rhymes with Monathan cakes. <laughs> <laughs> and here's Gee. another hint. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Jonathan Frakes is involved. He's bringing some friends is all I have to say. There will be some more people. We're going to start releasing announcements about who's joining and maybe what some of the panels will be. The sci-fi sisters are also very much involved in this. So it's like a great collaboration of Star Trek people, Hollywood food coalition and us. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to be great. I got involved because I loved the previous shows. Yeah, it's 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 a great it's kind of like a convention, you know, in a weird way, you know, a great set of panels, great cause. And Billingsley is is the Jerry Lewis telethon guy throughout all of them. He keeps on popping up to the whole thing with Bonnie Gordon, who's the voice uh, on Star Trek Prodigy of the computer. So the two of them are like the hosts. You can get all kinds of updates at trektalks.net. Been working a lot with John lately, and he's just I love that man. He's wonderful. It's full of surprises, that guy. <laughs> Indeed. So that's it. I hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and happy December. We will have more podcasts in 2023 and uh, into 2024 as we wait for Discovery. Did you bring your Picard wine to Thanksgiving? I did. I Same. did. It- <laughs> 
<laughs> it was good. It was it was not great, but pretty good. Yeah, so, mine was a hit. Bottle oh, was empty pretty quickly. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>